All right, if your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jonah, chapter number four. We're going to finish up our lesson. We've been studying the book of Jonah, and uh, most people uh, know that Jonah was the guy that was swallowed by the fish, and uh, that is true. And, uh, and you say, well, pastor, do you really believe that? And I say, yeah, I really believe that, because it is in the Word of God, and God wrote it down for us, and, uh, and God is able to do things that are unbelievable, to be honest with you. Uh, and things that we just can't even imagine. I was reminded of a verse this week, uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, uh, call on me and I, call upon me, and that's not the right one. Um, I have this mix of Spanish in my head with, with English, so when I don't quote verses, it's not because I'm studying uh, other translations. Uh, well, they are, they're Spanish translations, okay? So uh, I got half Spanish in my head, but it call on me, and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And, uh, and praise the Lord for that. Uh, but in English, we only use the King James Version, all right? That's all we stand on and use here and, uh, and believe in. And so um, Jonah, chapter number four, and, and God's able to do things that we don't uh, know or, or could even imagine, really. And, uh, and there's a whole book, the Bible, written about things that God has done that are just really uh, some things amazing uh, as we read them. We're in Jonah chapter four. And we're going to look at Jonah being denounced. I said last week that we're surprised. You know, if the book of Jonah only had three chapters, uh, it would have ended on a happy note, and we would have said, wow, that was a great book. Uh, but, but you open up uh, the page, and you find Jonah chapter 4. And I talked about last week how the Bible says there in verse number 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That's just an amazing verse, to be honest with you. And, uh, and we, we watched Jonah's reaction and, and what he thought of all of that. And, uh, and, and so in the latter part of this chapter, verse 4, uh, down through the end, we find that Jonah is denounced by God. Look with me in verse number 4. The Bible says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word that we can study and we can read and God, we can meditate upon. And God, I pray that you'd use me this morning. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. I pray, Father, that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And Father, we, uh, as we look at God interacting with Jonah, may we, be, uh, may we learn from, from how you work with people, God. And may we respond better than Jonah did. 
and in, in a more appropriate attitude and way, God, as we uh, look at Jonah's life, God, I pray that you would just help us to realize uh, the needs of our own life and, Father, how we ought to react to you. And God will certainly thank you for that. God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Jonah's attitude needs, uh, needs denounced, really. And that's what this passage is about, is the denunciation of Jonah's attitude. It's amazing that a prophet of God would be upset at the repentance of so many people. We, we talked about that last week. And I'm reminded of this verse. The Bible says in Luke 15, 7, I say unto thee that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So could you imagine, here's Jonah in Nineveh, uh, and he goes in and he preaches, and the city repents. I mean, they are serious about it. They fast, uh, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they're serious about saying, hey, we, we want change in our city. And so uh, God spares them and gives them mercy. Could you imagine, the Bible says there's rejoicing over one sinner that repenteth in heaven. We talked about how big the city of Nineveh was. Uh, the Bible says it's an exceeding great city of three days journey. And it just goes on. And, and he said there was uh, many thousands, I can't remember off the top of my head, I want to say 6,000, uh, that couldn't discern between their right hand and their left hand. And that would be children that are, are young people. And, and so all of those people, we find a huge repentance and a huge turning of sin to God. Boy, can you imagine the, the rejoicing that took place in heaven on that day? But here's the prophet of God, mad and upset. Now, one of those two is not right, okay? And it's not heaven. So uh, we can figure out that, hey, Jonah is not right with God. If, if heaven is rejoicing and the prophet is sulking, clearly there's a problem and it was not with heaven. Uh, I want to read this. Uh, John Butler says this. He, he worded this very well, and so I just give you the, what he wrote. Uh, John Butler says this. Our churches would do a lot more for the Lord if they recognize the great peril of sin of the wrong spirit and dealt with it accordingly. Some of those who had never touched a drop of booze in their lives or danced or gambled or committed an immoral act are still big headaches in church because they have a sour attitude like Jonah's. But because they have not been guilty of the deeds we easily recognize as sin, we think they are good people and elect them to office and put them in charge, but their wrong spirit can destroy the church. It fosters such things as backbiting, murmuring, gossip, sulking, uncharitableness, and the like. No church prospers when these practices prevail. We do not minimize the condemnations of the obvious wicked deeds of the flesh, but neither do we want to minimize the seriousness of the sin of the wrong spirit. Both are most destructive to the work of God. Boy, what a quote. And, uh, and he, he hit the nail on the head, so I just 
I just give you what he said. I, I won't even try to reword that. What a, uh, what, a, what a great insight. And really, that's what you have in this passage. It's Jonah's uh, bitter, sour spirit that is on display for all things to see. Uh, we started here in verse number four. Look with me there. The Bible says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? And in Jonah's denunciation, we find the searching of God, the searching of God. God here asks a question of Jonah. He says, doest thou well to be angry? I have a message I preached many years ago. The thought hit me when I was reading through my Bible, and I was, I was in Genesis chapter 3, and, uh, and I, I got to the portion where uh, Adam and Eve had sinned against God, and, and, and God came walking in the cool of the day, the Bible says, and, uh, and God calls out to Adam and He says, Where art thou? And as I thought about that question, I thought, you know, that's very interesting. We, and I, especially having been on the mission field, I, I ask a lot of questions out of my just plumb ignorance. I have to ask because I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. And so I ask things because, well, I want to know this and I want to know that. And so I have to ask a lot of questions. And so asking questions uh, usually in our mind frame comes from a lack of information. But as you think about that, God's not missing any information. God knows everything. And if you apply that to Scripture and you apply that to even the case way back in the Garden of Eden of Adam and Eve, uh, when, when God came down and He told Adam and He called to him and He said, Where art thou? God was not asking Adam and Eve where they were because He did not know. God knew right where they were. God created the tree that they were standing behind. God could have told you how many leaves. God could have told you how many ants were climbing on that tree. That's how much God knows. So God wasn't asking uh, for the sake of himself. Well, I can't find them, and I'm, I'm wondering where they are. Have you seen Adam and Eve? You know, come out wherever you are. I'm done looking. It was not that God was lacking information, but rather that God wanted Adam and Eve to recognize the very fact that they were hiding themselves from the God of heaven that had created them from the God of heaven that wanted to have a relationship with them, from the God of heaven with whom they had previously walked. And so when we come to this question, when God asks Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? It is not because God does not know and he's scratching in his head and saying, well, I wonder if it's a good thing that Jonah's angry. God knows the heart of Jonah. God knows what is going on in Jonah's life. And he's not asking out of ignorance, but he's asking because he wants Jonah to recognize where he is at in his own life. And he asks him, doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah confronted with such a, a, a strong question and confronted with such a, 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 a very discerning question. Boy, he, he doesn't, he, he's speechless. He has nothing to respond. And isn't that the way the Word of God is? I was reminded of the verse, the Bible says, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints 
and morrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, that's what this book does. And sometimes we, when we're confronted with the Word of God, boy, it hurts. And we're like, man, boy, I don't like that. And that's a tough question to answer. Or that's a tough statement to swallow. Or that's a tough thing in the Word of God. And there are things that even discern between our thoughts and our intents of our heart. And that's exactly what this question was doing to Jonah. Because God came to him and said, hey, doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah is forced to face his anger. What is he angry about? And the truth of the matter is, he's angry at God. Because God did not destroy the Ninevites. He knows it. God knows it. And, and, and it is very abundantly clear, and it becomes clear to Jonah when God frames the question, doest thou well? to be angry. We see the question as God is probing the heart of Jonah and searching uh, for answers, not because God doesn't have them, but rather he wants Jonah to face those answers. But I don't only want you to notice the question. I want you to notice what comes next. In verse number five, so Jonah went out of the city. I put down there the quiet. You have the question that God asks Jonah does not respond, but rather turns his back and walks out and leaves the city because he cannot face the truth of that question. It hurts. And he's like, I ain't answering that. Not only am I not answering that, I'm not staying here. And he leaves and he goes out of the city because he is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing. He has nothing to say. There's really no response that he could have given to God. Sometimes we think we're wise. Sometimes we think we have all the answers. The truth of the matter is when, when you go toe-to-toe with God, we don't have the answers. We usually come up empty. And that's where Jonah was in his life. And Jonah's response was to walk away. You know, when you don't get your way, generally, you leave mad. I mean, uh, you've been there, I've been there, we've all been there, you know, something happens, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe somewhere else, it, definitely when you were a kid, unless you always got your way, which most of us didn't. My parents, I didn't ever get my way, uh, on a rare occasion, I guess. But, but, you know, you don't get your way, and you know what you do? You leave. I'm going to my room. And you go to your room, and you sulk. That's what Jonah did. He left, and he sulked. He was mad. He was upset. He was angry. He left. Listen, it's hard to be in the presence of God when you're upset with God. And, and this was a very wrong attitude for Jonah to have. And, and sometimes we don't respond well to God's questions. Um, as, as you think about the questions that God asks, I mean, you think about Adam and Eve, and he says, where art thou? And, and listen, we could ask ourselves in our own life, hey, where are we spiritually? Are we walking hand in hand with God and enjoying a great relationship with Him? Or is it one of those deals where, man, I got I to gotta go to church, I got to be there, man, I, I, I got to get in and I got to get out because, man, I can't stay too long. It's just too hard to spend time with the Lord. 
Well, I should read my Bible, but man, I don't want to do that because I know there's things in my life that need to change and I don't want to change them. Where art thou in your life? As God would ask Adam and Eve that. What about Cain? Uh, you remember that's the second question in the Bible. The first question is when God asks Adam and Eve, where art thou? The second question, at least that God asks, is uh, of, eight, uh, of Cain when Cain had killed his brother. And he says, what hast thou done? And Cain, knowing the answer, knowing, well, I, I killed my brother, my righteous brother, and, and, uh, and that was obviously not right. Uh, again, uh, you know, sometimes we mess up in our life and God would come to us, hey, what hast thou done? Sometimes we may get angry and we may have feelings uh, that, that are not right. And God says, doest thou well to be angry? And we ought to be careful that, that we don't allow those things to intrude in our life and grow to the point that we have a bitter spirit or hardness in our heart towards God. We ought to have a good relationship with God. Jonah had allowed that to grow into a, a bitterness between him and God because he literally did not get his way. We see the searching and the probing of God as God deals with Jonah. But I want you to notice in verse number 5, the sulking of Jonah. The sulking of Jonah. Verse number 5, the Bible says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow that he might see what would come of the city. I already touched on this a little bit, but in verse 5, the first thing that he does is Jonah leaves. He's like, I am out of here. Could you imagine, we don't really know, but go back to chapter 3 and verse number 10. It says, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, I don't know how that was communicated. I don't know if that was communicated, but apparently it had to have been communicated because uh, Jonah knew, well, this ain't going to happen. God's not going to destroy the Ninevites. That's what made him exceedingly mad as you go into the next chapter because God uh, was sparing the Ninevites. Now, I don't know if the Ninevites knew that, but I know this if they did know that God was sparing them, could you imagine the joy that they would have felt? I mean, there would have been rejoicing uh, and they would have been happy. I mean, they had, they had fasted and they had repented and they had prayed and they had put on sackcloth and ashes and it had been declared from the king all the way down to every person and even their animals, the Bible says, uh, that they wouldn't feed them. And, and there, there was a, a citywide fast that was proclaimed and repentance was, uh, was given to them and God spared them. And you know what? You can't be out of sorts and with God and be amongst Christians who are joyous. It just doesn't work well. You ever been around somebody and they're happy and you're not and they just bug you? I mean, man, they make you mad. I mean, they're singing or they're smiling and you just want to smack the smile off their face. Don't you know I'm having a bad day and you're supposed to have a bad day too? 
I mean, that's just kind of how we are. And, and that's human nature. Jonah could not stand in the presence of those Ninevites because he did not like the Ninevites. He did not want to see them repent. He wanted to see them destroyed. We see that throughout the entire text. And so for them to be, uh, for them to be rejoicing and for God to show his mercy and grace on those Ninevites, boy, that was just too much for, for Jonah to handle to the point that he... He had to leave the city. He just couldn't stay there. And so he left out of the city. And so we find that, uh, that he, that was his reaction. And, uh, and he just could not stand uh, to be in the presence of those Ninevites rejoicing at God's grace and God's mercy. We see him leaving. Look in verse number five in the last part. He says, uh, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Not only did Jonah leave, but I want you to notice he did not go very far. He went just far enough that he couldn't hear their rejoicing, uh, but yet that he could see fire fall from heaven and consume Nineveh. That's really what he wanted to see. I mean, why else would he go out of the city and just sit there and wait. You know why? He was waiting for the, uh, for the wrath of God to fall on Nineveh. Though God had spared Nineveh, though it was clear that God had repented him of the evil that he was going to do and the judgment that he was going to send, he, Jonah was still waiting. He's like, boy, God's got to judge. He can't let that go. Uh, he, he's, you know, uh, that's got to be dealt with. And so Jonah goes far enough out that he can sit there. So not only did he leave, but he left far enough where he could still look and watch and say, boy, I want to see God judge Nineveh. Boy, I want to see the fire fall. Boy, I want to see the judgment of God come down on this place. And Jonah could not let that go. Uh, he was wishing for their destruction. And he wanted to see that, uh, that, that city fall. And boy, how the sulking um, will really affect your outlook on life. Really, we have the greatest revival recorded in the Bible with this city, a, a city-wide revival that had taken place. I tell you what, any preacher uh, and any evangelist would be elated to have results like Jonah had. I mean, that's what we would long for. That's, could you imagine uh, if, if in Massillon, Ohio, all the bars shut down? And, and, and all of the things changed, and, and, uh, and man, there was just a revival uh, like we've never seen before in our lifetime, and, and, and people were like serious, and next week, uh, the, the entire place would be packed. There'd be people standing in the lobby listening to the TVs because we wouldn't have enough room, not just in our church, but in all the churches. I mean, uh, all the churches that are in Maslin would not contain the population of Maslin if there was a serious citywide revival that would take place. Man, that'd be awesome. That's what we would, uh, we'd have to go rent the, uh, uh, the Tigers Stadium and meet down there. Amen? That'd be all right. That's what happened. But Jonah wasn't happy about it. He was sulking. And he was, he was upset with God. He was upset with God's decision. But I want you to notice not just the searching and probing of God, but I want you to notice the sulking of Jonah. But I want you to see the, the sagacity or sagacity of God. Look with me in verse number 6. The Bible says there, 
And the Lord God, watch this, prepared a gourd. In verse number 6, the Lord God prepares. In verse number 7, God prepares. And in verse number 8, God prepares. God is fixing to teach Jonah an object lesson. I used to love junior church and object lessons. And, uh, and I still do. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll give them, when I, when I preach, I preach at chapel this winter, and, and, uh, and I, I uh, got, got snowballs, the little, not, not real snowballs. I got the little um, foam ones. You know, they look like a great big cotton ball. And, uh, and I took those as an object lesson, and I used them as a, to illustrate a point. There's something about visualizing and actually seeing what has taken place. And so God is preparing an object lesson for, for Jonah. And, and listen, God is so long-suffering and so patient. I mean, if, if I were God, and we're all glad I'm not, but if I were God, I'd be done with Jonah. I mean, Nineveh has already repented. He, at least in, in, in the letter of the law, fulfilled everything that was asked of him, but not in the heart of the law or the spirit of the law. And, and I'd be like, all right, Jonah, you want to die? I'll tell you what, why don't you just come home? You're done. Your time's up. I mean, that's what he was asking. That's what Jonah wanted. And, and God could have easily said, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of working with you. I'm tired of trying to get you to go through all the right places. I'm, try, I'm tired of, 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 of trying to correct your behavior and your attitude and your heart. And, and God could have drawn the line. But God is long-suffering and God is compassionate. And God works with us over and over and over. And by the way, when we are in Jonah's shoes, we're grateful for God's mercy. Because the honest reality is we're all stubborn sometimes. We're all sulking sometimes. We're all upset sometimes. We're all uh, not in, in right relationship with God at times in our life. And so we see that God is working and God is, uh, God is so patient and long-suffering with Jonah. Look with me in verse number 6. Or, or actually, Obadiah, thinking about... Well, let's go to Jonah 4, 6 there. We'll just... Um, we see there that God prepared a gourd. The Bible says, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. You read verse 6, and if, if it were to stop there, you say, Now I wonder why God did that. God created a gourd that would grow up. And there are plants that, that spring up, uh, and man, they grow really fast. And so here Jonah is, and I mean, that thing grew up, and, and it was fast, and, and Jonah was shaded by that plant. Now, if you've ever been in the desert, um, I tell you what, that sun beats down on you. I, having spent some time in Peru for quite some time, Boy, I know that, that there were times, uh, it really, you, you just wanted just a little bit of shade. And you'd find that place that was shaded because, man, you needed some relief from that sun that would just beat down on you. And so here's Jonah. He's kind of in a desert-type place over there uh, in the Middle East, and, and that sun was bearing down on him, and, uh, and he just needed some relief. So God, in all of his wisdom and in all of his preparation, says, hey, I'm going to cause a plant to grow up. And he does. 
This is after Jonah made his booth. Now, uh, you go into a whole lesson there on how, how man is always trying to take care of himself, but, uh, but he's not able to, and that booth didn't work. It wasn't functional, and so God take, takes this plant and, and grows it up. And he could have left it like that, but God was working further, not just to relieve Jonah's needs of his life and, and that need for shade, but God was working on Jonah's heart. And so he raises up this, uh, this gourd, but it's only temple, temporal. Sometimes when we're out of sorts with God and, uh, and God brings a blessing into our life, we're like, yep, see, I must be doing right. It must be okay. I must not be that far off base. And, and God is still blessing me. And, and he might be, but just so he could teach you a lesson. And we find he goes on, look at the next verse. So Jonah was covered by that gourd and, and he was blessed by it. But look at the next verse. But God prepared a worm when the morning arose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. Now, worms just bother me. They just do. I mean, you have these beautiful plants and, uh, and man, those worms, you ever bitten into an apple and, uh, and then you only to find there's a worm on the inside? Or you grab a piece of fruit and you think, man, it's all good. And when you grab it, uh, your hand goes through it or something. You find there's a worm hole and that thing is just ruined. I mean, it just, there's nothing ruined, something better uh, than a little tiny worm that's on the inside hiding. And, and, uh, and that's what God had worked out here. God grew up this gourd. And, and it, was, it was like this tree. It was kind of shading Jonah. He was standing under man. He was like, man, I love it. But all of a sudden, uh, that worm was in there. And man, he started eating it away. And, uh, and all of a sudden, man, that plant withered away. That sun just, just made all the leaves wilt away and fall apart. And, and all of a sudden, Jonah is now uh, upset because now uh, that blessing that has been taken away... By the way, it's interesting, as God uh, prepares things, if you were to go back to Jonah 1.17, you can just kind of note this. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish. God had prepared the gourd. God had prepared the, the, the worm inside of that gourd. God is very prepared. And, uh, and I like preparedness. I believe in preparing. I believe we ought to be prepared. And, uh, and we do all our best efforts. But I tell you what, God is, is always prepared, far better than us. The, the old saying is the best laid plans of mice and men. You know, they all kind of fall through uh, on times. And, and, uh, but, but God's plans, they never fail. Uh, because God is the greatest planner. And God is prepared to deal with whatever may pop up uh, in man's life. And so here God had prepared that worm. And, uh, and look at verse number 8. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Here we have the relief that God had prepared in the gourd. He have the worm that he prepared to destroy the, the relief that he sent. And now, uh, on top of all of that, a wind. If you've been in the desert sun, you know that the sun alone is hot enough. I mean, uh, man, it is just, uh, it will cook you. 
But uh, uh, one time I was driving down the road. We were going to a, a desert town in Peru. And as we were driving, man, I've driven a lot in, in the north. I've driven through snow. I've driven through whiteout conditions. But we were driving down here in the deserts of Peru. And, uh, and all of a sudden, a windstorm blew up. And I tell you what. It was sand everywhere. You couldn't see. Uh, you couldn't see across this auditorium. I mean, it was just solid sand. And so, of course, we had to put all the windows up. And, and so we did that. And then we turned on the vents. And then sand started blowing in our vents. We had to shut the sand. We had to shut the vents off. And our car was full of dust. And, and we were dying and baking in there because it was hot. And you couldn't see anything on top of that. I was just glad we were in the car and not out in the sand. I mean, if you were out in that sand, you would have been uh, just beaten with sand on every part of your body. It just would have been everywhere. And, and I, just for the record, I hate sand. I just do. I don't know why I just hate sand. It gets everywhere. You can't get rid of it. It's just always there. I just despise sand. And so, uh, so this sand, I mean, this wind would just blow. And, and if it didn't kick up the sand, I can tell you this, being in the desert, being in the heat, being in the area that he was, it would have dehydrated him very quickly because that wind will just take it right out of you. And here's Jonah and he was there, and the Bible says that he fainted. God had prepared this, this relief for him, but then God prepared for it to be destroyed, and then God increased his affliction that he would feel as God was working on Jonah's life to try and correct his bad attitude and his behavior and where he was in his life. And I want you to look at verses 9 through 11, and not only do we see the... Uh, uh, this, the sagacity of God, the wisdom of God, but also we see the scolding of God. In verse number 9, the Bible says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? The question really has not changed much because Jonah's attitude has not changed. He's still upset with God. And so now we find uh, that God asks the same question. Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. In other words, yes, he, he confronts God. He says, yes, I'm mad at you. Uh, yes, you sent me this gourd and blessed my life, but then you took it away and, uh, and I, was, I was pelted with heat. And then if that wasn't enough, the wind came and, and boy, it was just too much. And, and Jonah passed out, really, because of all of that. Verse number... 10, then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. God's scolding Jonah, and he gives him the explanation of the gourd. Hey, listen, Jonah, that gourd that came, that leaf, that, that blessing in your life, that was me. The worm that came, that was me. The wind that came, that was me. 
and you're mad about that gourd, you didn't plant the gourd, you didn't water the gourd, you didn't, uh, you didn't nurture the gourd, you didn't put any uh, of the fertilizer around that gourd so that it would grow up, so that it would be healthy. You did no work whatsoever, and I sent that blessing into your life. And I took it away as I wanted to. And you're upset about that gourd. He says, you're not right, because you didn't do anything. And that's a small illustration. How much more important is Nineveh, a great city with a lot of people in it that, need, uh, that, that repented and received God's grace. And he said, listen, you're not right. And he scolds him and he exposes uh, Jonah's feelings of, of anger towards the Ninevites. And, and he's very clear. Listen, it doesn't, doesn't God have a way of just dealing with us? I mean, if you ever, if you ever felt uh, God's punishment, and by the way, the, the Bible talks about it in Hebrews chapter number 12. Uh, it says that God, God correct, he chastens the children whom he loves. And so if you're saved, and if you're born again, and if you're a child of God, and you've messed up in your life, which we all have, then God corrects us, and maybe not to the extreme of Jonah's position, but I'm just saying that God has a way of dealing with His children. And He's really good at it. And He brings it all down to Jonah. And He says, basically ends the book on the fact that, Jonah, you are not right. And he's so clear. And listen, the Word of God is so clear in our lives that we need to read it, we need to heed it, we need to follow what God says. Let's not be like Jonah. Let's not be the sulking prophet. Let's not be the one that would allow uh, our feelings and our anger and our upset attitude at God to get the best of our life. Because I tell you what, look at Jonah's life. I mean, he's upset at, at little things uh, of the, uh, the gourd and, and this and that. And we need to be careful in our lives, hey, that we're walking with God and that we're trusting in Him and we're allowing Him to work as He see fit. So we stand to our, our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. God, thank you for your word. God, how you dealt very clearly with Jonah. And God, what an example to us at how you deal with your children. And God, you don't, not everyone needs that extreme of attention and that extreme of a, 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 a calling to straighten their life out. But God, some people do. God, we're just amazed at your long-suffering, at your patience with people. God, I pray that you'd help us to respond. Help us to be those that would walk with you. And God, to keep a right relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. Help us to walk with you and recognize your correction even at the very start, God, and, 
and to look at the questions that you ask us in your word and, and apply them to our lives. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to each and every person. I pray that they would be walking with you. And God, I pray that if there's one that does not know you as their own personal Savior, God, that they would put their faith and trust in you and be saved today. God, will certainly thank you for that. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, as the piano plays, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you want to pray for somebody else that you know is out of sorts with God. You care about them and you want to see their life change. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord for His long-suffering and patience with us. Boy, what a great God we serve. Maybe you want to thank Him for His Word. crystal clear he is in his work his dealing with children whatever the need is the piano plays the altar's open